In opening the sermon, I'll at the same time make an announcement, and that is that uh, the fast of the tenth month is coming up this coming Friday. Just thought you would want to be reminded of that. But I say that as a partial partial introduction to the sermon. Uh, not that we're going to get into fasting today. Relax on that at least. But that day pictured. Uh, in history, and I think has in modern times and does in prophecy picture the siege upon the church. Now all of you here, and most who have heard me preach over a period of time, know and understand that we believe that the prophecies, all of them, were written essentially first for the church and secondly for the physical nations of Israel. And the church has been first and foremost in this. Now, in introduction, let's go to Ezekiel 24. And I want to go through it uh, uh, briefly, not spend a lot of time here. From the standpoint of what has happened in the church, and that I do believe this is a prophecy about it, now, when worldwide fell apart, there were signs, there were cracks, there were uh, rumors that went around here and there about troubles, dissension, difficulties, ministers fighting, blah, blah, blah. Uh, some even departed uh, earlier than when the church really began to break up in sections. So it's not that it was not visible if you had eyes to see and ears to hear. But when it happened, despite the warning signs that came, it just seemed like it came apart all of a sudden, didn't it? And you were left in confusion and frustration and wondering what to do and how should we go, what should we do? And we went through a time of great trauma. Now, as we consider this, we have the largest remaining section of Worldwide Church of God, the United Church of God, coming apart at the seams. Now, there have been rumors, there have been uh, thoughts, there have been cracks visible here and there, rumors of dissension among the ministry, all oh, going back, really, for several years. But... It could be disallowed. It could be, oh, they get over that. Maybe they can fix that. Uh, uh, it's none of my problem. You know, different ways we look at it and may not really discern what is occurring until suddenly it hits. And then there is absolute confusion and frustration and wondering how to line up and where to line up and if to line up and all of the things that go through a person's mind when that confusion hits. Now, I'm not making these comments as a, uh, what's the, I can't find the word sometimes. I couldn't when I was young either. Uh, I'm not saying this is in displeasure of or criticism, I guess is the word I'm looking for. In criticism of United, they have been taken up in what God has done to the church as a whole and to pieces of it. It is 
splitting up because God is splintering and spewing his church out. And it, it will not be the last such fracturing, and I'm not speaking of united, I mean in the church, and it could happen here. It can happen anywhere groups of peop God's people assemble because God has not been happy with the church. Now, we all know that. But I want to look at it in terms of Ezekiel 24, particularly today. There are many scriptures we could go to, but I picked this one, and someone mentioned it before services, in fact. Uh, I had kind of forgotten the time or the timing or the setting of Ezekiel 24, though I'd gone through it in the uh, Minor Prophets series very carefully. Uh, Ezekiel 24, again in the ninth year, in the tenth month, in the tenth day of the month. Now, as we understand, that is this coming Friday. It is one of those days set aside in Zechariah 8 for God's people to fast because of the destruction uh, that commenced against uh, Jerusalem historically in that day. But Ezekiel is a prophecy for the future. And he said, Son of man, write you the name of the day, even of this same day, the king of Babylon set himself against Jerusalem this same day. So there may have been rumors swirling that Nebuchadnezzar was coming, that his armies had been sighted somewhere, that he had attacked a, a neighboring country or whatever. But then suddenly he's at your gate. And it seems sudden, even though you might have known he was rampaging about the country. And then he uses the analogy, I'm not going to go through and read it, it takes too much time, but he uses the analogy of a boiling pot. And he talks about Israel as being dismembered, cut in pieces, and, throw, and uses the analogy of a body being cut in pieces and thrown into a pot that boils and boils and boils in the great fire and heat that comes upon it. And he was to seethe the bones therein, cook the meat, clear off the bone, because he says this is an example of what will happen. We have seen it happening in the church, and it continues apace and is not done. He said in verse 6, Bring it out piece by piece, and no lot fall upon it, for her blood is in the midst of her. So the sin is not covered because it has not been uh, repented of, hasn't been covered by Christ, and build a fire and so on and make it hot till I have caused my fury to rest upon you, end of verse 13. And he says, I will do this. I will judge you, verse 14. And then he tells Ezekiel, and this is a prophecy that, or a, an instruction, a direction he gave Ezekiel directly and in a personal manner. God wanted to get this across, and this seems like a very, very dramatic way to do it, but God sometimes acts in these ways. He said, Son of man, verse 16, Behold, I take away from you the desire of your eyes with a stroke, yet neither shall you mourn nor weep, neither shall your tears run down. Forbear to cry, make no mourning for the dead. Bind the tire of your head upon you and put on your shoes upon your feet. Just as he told Israel to put their shoes on their feet, 
and take the staff in Exodus when it was time, or almost time, very quickly coming, to flee from Egypt after the death and destruction of the firstborn on Passover night. Cover not your lips. In other words, be ready to speak and eat not the bread of men. This is very urgent. You don't have time to eat. You don't have time to do anything, really. This is coming. So I spoke to the people in the morning. All right, I'm going to get right on this. I spoke to the people in the morning, and in the evening my wife died. And I did in the morning as I was commanded. He didn't mourn. He didn't weep. He didn't wait. He got busy doing what God had told him to do to take a message to Jerusalem and to Israel. We know Jerusalem is a church from Hebrews 12, 23 and other scriptures. So God gave him instruction and bang, it happened so fast. He did not have time to adjust emotionally. He took what God said began to preach it, and that very evening his wife just died, just like that. And God had instructed him, don't even mourn, don't weep, don't cry, just get on with it. Now, that is a very sudden thing. The destruction of Worldwide came upon us very quickly. The destruction of United will seem to have come upon those people very quickly, and so will the destruction of other groups. We know from Ezekiel 11, I mean, <laughs> Zechariah 11, that there are three pastors or three churches, I think it means, three big trees, as it says in the first verse or two, that will come down. And it says in the space of one month. One month can be 30 days or it can be a very short period of time in terms of prophecy. So if this is the beginning of that prophecy, and I'm not saying that it is, there will be others as well. So it's not a done deal. And this may not be the beginning of that. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that the splintering of the church, God prophesied, and it is continuing. Pray for those people. Let's not condemn or criticize. Let's just say we need to all repent of our Laodiceanism, and they do as do we, so that we can survive everything that is coming. Now, I use the church as an illustration because these prophecies are written first to happen in the church. And the destruction of the church is coming closer and closer to being complete. We are going to have the same thing happen in our nation. Now, this was a very sudden and dramatic prophecy in, in uh, Ezekiel 24. But I want to examine uh, some different phrases uh, in the Bible that speak of this. Now, we don't have time to go all through all the prophecies of destruction. We've seen those. We've gone through them verse by verse and word by word over the last quite a few years. But I want to focus on some particular words or phrases today so that we understand. Now, we see cracks, we see problems, we see economic troubles around the world, we see moral uh, problems in our nation and around the world. We see all kinds of problems if we look at the world around us today. They are warning signs. 
just as we had in the church. They show that problems are not only here, but they're going to get worse. Now, the current inhabitant of the White House just said yesterday that he sees opportunity and growth and restoration of the economy coming. And I do believe he's lying through his teeth. He knows better. He has seen the seeds of destruction planted and has helped plant them and water them in some respects behind the scene, but he knows exactly what is going on, and yet he's trying to tell you, it's okay, honey, just settle down, everything will be all right. No, it won't. We know all the prophecies of the destruction of Israel and how God is going to destroy it utterly. Now, let's examine these. Take the phrase, in one day, and with that, turn to Isaiah 9. Isaiah 9, and I'm going to skim over some of these pretty quickly. In one day, Isaiah 9, verse 14. Therefore, the speaking of Israel here, verse 13, for the people turns not to him that's, that smites them, neither do they seek the eternal of hosts. God is the one doing the smiting. God is the one destroying the church, and he's the one that will destroy the nation. It says so in Lamentations 2 over and over and over again. Verse 14, Therefore the eternal will cut off from Israel head and tail, branch and rush, in one day. This is not going to happen over a great long period of time. It is going to happen very quickly. Chapter 10, verse 17, speaking of the same scenario. And the light of Israel shall be for a fire, and his holy one for a flame. And it shall burn and devour his thorns and his briars in one day. Chapter 47. And here I want about verse 9. He's talking in verse 6 about the tribes of Israel and to restore the preserved Israel. I will also give you for a light to the Gentiles, speaking of his people who are true. But verse 7 says, Thus says the eternal Redeemer of Israel and his Holy One, To him whom man despises, to him whom the nation abhors, to a servant of rulers, kings shall see and arise. Princes also shall worship, because of the eternal that is faithful, and the Holy One of Israel, and he shall choose you. Thus says the eternal, In an acceptable time have I heard you, and in a day of salvation have I helped you, and I will preserve you. Uh, this is speaking of the blessing that will come very quickly in a day. I didn't mean to get to that one yet, but uh, we did. Oh, I'm in 47, no wonder. I mean, 49. I'm supposed to be in 47. Okay, this makes more sense. Uh, same thing, but blessing instead of cursing. Let's go back to cursing. Uh, Isaiah 47, verse 9. But these two things shall come to you in a moment, in one day. So he uses moment and day both in this verse. The loss of children and widowhood. They shall come upon you in their perfection for the multitude of your sorceries. It's going to come quickly, in other words, in a day, in a moment. Verse 11, Therefore shall evil come upon you, 
you shall not know from where it rises. And mischief shall fall upon you, you shall not be able to put it off. And desolation shall come upon you suddenly, which you shall not know, or know where it even came from. It's going to be so fast. So moment, day, and suddenly here in the space of three verses. Even though there are people who see cracks and problems occurring in our society and culture, it is still going to hit so fast they will not be able to believe what happened. Let's look at moment then. We've already seen it because it's sometimes repeated, but Psalm 73, Psalm 73 here, and verse 19. How are they brought into desolation? As in a moment, they are utterly consumed with terrors, as a dream when one wakes. So, O Eternal, when you awake, you shall despise their image. So when God wakes up to do this, and Zechariah talks about it's time for you to stand, to rise up, and to do your work, it's going to come like a nightmare or a dream in the night. You don't know where it comes from, and then it's gone. It just happens so fast. Desolation in a moment. Uh, Let's look at the word suddenly. We've already seen that a time or two, but let's focus on it for a moment. Isaiah 29, and begin in verse 1. Woe to Ariel, that's another word for Israel, the city where David dwelt, Jerusalem. And he says he will distress it in verse 2. He'll camp against it, around about it, and lay seeds against you with a mount. So this ties with Ezekiel 24 when Nebuchadnezzar sieged Jerusalem in particular. But here he's talking to Israel as a whole and says that he will lay siege against it. He laid siege against the church, spiritual Israel. Now he is about to lay it against physical Israel. So this day coming up, this coming Friday, the 10th day of the 10th month, is a very, very important day. Now it comes at the end of the year, Uh, in terms of the tenth month, but it is the beginning of the scenario that develops through the fast of Zechariah 8, when the siege started, and then you have the destruction against Jerusalem later and the killing of, uh, I'm trying to say Gamaliel, that's the wrong word, uh, Gedaliah, and it repeats every year, so that we might rehearse that just as we do the feast days. So this is the beginning fast of that uh, domino effect that comes. Reading on down, verse 5, Moreover, the multitude of your strangers shall be like small dust, and the multitude of the terrible ones shall be as chaff that passes away, like dust or chaff, the air filled with it. Yes, it shall be at an instant suddenly, So a sudden instant, both those words are very dramatic and indicate very quickly. An instant suddenly. Chapter 30, 
verse 13. This one we have used quite a few times. Uh, verse 12, Therefore thus says the Eternal Holy One of Israel, because you despise this word and trust in oppression and perverseness, and you won't get off of it or you stay on it, therefore this iniquity shall be to you as a breach ready to fall, swelling out in a high wall whose breaking comes suddenly at an instant. Now we are seeing the swelling of the wall. We are seeing the leaning of it as it gets ready to fall. We're seeing the cracks, the problems, the difficulties that will not go away, that have made it lean. There's no stopping the leaning wall. As it leans more and more, suddenly collapses or falls. And that's the analogy that God himself uses. So they can talk about green shoots of recovery or whatever, but it is not going to happen. Yeah, you plug in an extra trillion dollars and suddenly things look a little better for a little while. It's like it might be with an individual with credit cards. You're in debt. You can't make your mortgage payments, your car payments. You can't make your credit card payments. And it seems pretty bleak. You're in a personal economic recession or depression. And you think, I don't know, see any way out. And then suddenly, you get an offer from another credit card company, and they send you one in the mail. Now, to you, that is a green shoot of recovery. Because now you can actually go and spend again for a little while. Or you can transfer balances quickly onto this one, or however you choose to do it. And you breathe a sigh of relief and say, ah, the crisis is past, I can still buy. And then that one gets full. And then you're even more depressed. And then another company, unbelievably, sends you another credit card. And ah, the recovery has come. I can spend again. And then that one gets full. And you know where this is headed. Bankruptcy is looming. And that's what they're doing with their QE1 and their QE2 and all of these temporary fixes. Yeah, you give them a new credit card for a trillion dollars and it takes them a little while to spend it. And it puts out one or two little green shoots. And then it's gone. And they do it again. And one of these days, it's going to come so hard and so fast that it will be unbelievable. So just as it hit the church like a tornado, and just like those people in United feel spiritually, emotionally, like they just had another tornado, it is going to continue to come on the churches, and it is about to come now on the nation. You can see the signs, can't you? We talk about it all the time, don't we? Among ourselves, in sermons, sermonettes, we see it, but it's going to be hard to believe when it actually happens. Go to Jeremiah 4. I'm covering a lot of scriptures in a hurry, and that's because I have a lot of scriptures. Jeremiah 4, and here verse 20. Destruction upon destruction is cried, for the whole land is spoiled. Suddenly are my tents spoiled, and my curtains in a moment. So suddenly and in a moment. Again, we're not going through all the prophecy that is here, 
just that how it will hit. That's the point today more, how it will hit. Not all about it, but that particular aspect of it. Chapter 6, verse 26. O daughter of my people, gird you with sackcloth and wallow yourself in ashes. Doesn't he tell us to repent in sackcloth and ashes and other places as well as here? Make you mourning as for an only son, most bitter lamentation, for the spoiler shall suddenly come upon us. Suddenly. Chapter 15. Verse 8, well, let's, let's start in verse 7, or 6. He says he's weary with repenting or relenting. He's ready to get this done. I've waited, and I've waited, and I've waited. I've relented, but now it's time to do it. And I will fan them with a fan in the gates of the land, like turning on the wind. I will bereave them of children. I will destroy my people, since they return not from their ways. Their widows are increased to me above the sand of the seas. I have brought upon them again against the mother of the young men a spoiler at noonday. I have caused him to fall upon it suddenly, and terrors upon the city. So this is going to come as terror, suddenly, like 911 happened in New York. Only this time, it will not just be three towers that fall, I think it will be all of them. Now, I appreciate, I remember when the 911 happened, we were discussing it and where was it in prophecy and one of you, I forget who now and it doesn't really matter, but the alertness and the knowledge of Scripture or running across it or however you came up with it, you mentioned that in... Uh, Ezekiel, it talks about the day that the towers fall. And that came up in the light of 9-1-1. I appreciated that somebody picked that out, saw it, and brought it to my attention because it fit. Now, all those towers are going to fall because God hates New York City uh, and Miami and Houston and Chicago and all of them. That is not his way of living. The Scripture is very plain about that, and all those towers are going to go and Tyre, which I think is modern-day New York in prophecy, is going to be a place for fishermen to dry their nets. It will be scraped clean and become a fishing village, ultimately. But it is going to have sudden, fearful terror hit it. Suddenly, it says here. Let's go on down to... Uh, I missed one I wanted to get in Isaiah. Let's come back quickly there. Isaiah 48. This is one about the fall of Babylon, and I think we've clearly shown that America is ruled over by a Babylonian uh, government, even though we are the people of Israel, and that we are the magnification, if you will, of ancient Babylon. Chapter 48, and here I wanted verse 3. I have declared the former things from the beginning, and they went forth out of my mouth, and I showed them. I did them suddenly, and they came to pass. So he's talking to Israel here, and then he's talking about Babylon in the next chapter uh, and its destruction. 
And in verse 20 he says, Go you forth of Babylon, flee from the Chaldeans. So we're to get away from this government over us. We're to get away from uh, the cities and so on, as we know from many, many scriptures, and prepare because this thing is going to come in a moment, in a day, suddenly, very quickly upon us. Uh, Habakkuk 2. That's right over here, if you don't know where it is. Habakkuk 2 and verse 7, I want. Now, this is Habakkuk speaking of the troubles and trials that were upon Israel, and he was saying, how long, O Lord, and when is this going to be? And he was frustrated about it. He wanted it to happen, just as we sometimes do. And Habakkuk is a prelude to the destruction that does hit then, in terms of prophecy in Zephaniah, but he's questioning it here. And he said, I'll stand on my watch in my tower. But in verse 7, speaking of our enemies, he says, Shall they not rise up suddenly that shall bite you, and awake that shall vex you, and you shall be for booty to them? Spoils of war. That is coming on us, and it will come, as he says here, suddenly. And Habakkuk wanted to know how long, even as we wonder how long. Uh, let's look at the word cloud for a moment. I just have one I want to turn to here. Ezekiel 38. Ezekiel 38, verse 16. This is at the time when uh, Magog comes on uh, God's people. Let's see, where did I want here? Uh, verse 16. And you shall come up against my people, O Israel, as a cloud to cover the land in the latter days. So they'll come up as a cloud. How does a cloud arise? You can have a clear sky and suddenly there's a cloud. It just materializes. It comes over the horizon or the atmosphere is just such that it, there it is. All right, let's go back to Jeremiah 50. Now this chapter 50 and 51 we've been through several times, but they're talking about the destruction of Israel. It's set in the context of Babylon, and it mentions God's people and Zion uh, throughout this time. And it's speaking of the latter days in verse 39 of chapter 49. So the setting here is in the latter days and talks about Babylon being taken. For out of the north there comes up a nation against her, verse 3. And we know that many prophecies of Israel talk about from the north and the Assyrian and so on. And they'll make her land desolate and none shall dwell in therein. They shall remove and they shall depart both man and beast. And he is going to have his own people looking to Zion in that day, verse 5, and they'll Head saying, how do we get there, and so on. They've been lost sheep without shepherds, which is happening in the church, and even dramatically in one group, even today as we speak. Uh, where was I going to go with verse 2? It didn't, doesn't say... Uh, it says taken, confounded, and broken there. It doesn't give the sense of the exact timing. But verse 3 gives desolation and captivity and destruction and people gathering. Now let's go to, to verses 8 and 9 of Jeremiah 50. 
Remove out of the midst of Babylon and go forth of the land of the Chaldeans and be as the he-goats before the flocks. For lo, I will raise and cause to come up against Babylon an assembly of great nations from the north, and they shall set themselves in array against her. From there she shall be taken. Their arrows shall be as of a mighty expert. None shall return in vain. They're all going to hit their target. It's going to be utter destruction, not hit or miss. And he says, go out ahead of it. It's coming. Verse 16, cut off the sower from Babylon and him that handles the sickle in the time of harvest. For fear of the oppressing sword, they shall turn every one to his people and they shall flee every one to his own land. The Mexicans are going to go back. The Thais and Vietnamese are going to go back. People are going to see this coming and feel it coming, and suddenly they're going to say, I do not want to be in America anymore. The American dream has become a nightmare. Verse 17, uh, Israel is a scattered sheep. The lions have driven him away. How does the lion attack? Very, very rapidly. And he uses that analogy here. First, the king of Assyria has devoured him, and last, this Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon has broken his bones. So it shows us intertwined with Babylon, doesn't it? And Babylon breaking our bones. A lot of this is coming from within as persecution against the people of God. Spiritual Israel as opposed to just physical. But even our own government is going to turn upon the citizens of this nation. That becomes very clear as we go through more of these verses. Verse 24. I have laid a snare for you. A rabbit is hopping along the path, and he thinks he's safe and everything is fine, and he puts his head through a snare, and he is caught how? In an instant, in a moment. Didn't see the snare, and suddenly it's around his neck. So, not aware is a key word here. In verse 24, laid a snare for you, and you are also taken, O Babylon, and you were not aware, you were found and also caught, because you have striven against the eternal. So this is coming like a snare on us. Verse 30, Therefore shall her young men fall in the streets, and all her men of war shall be cut off in that day, says the eternal. So he's not talking about that century, but in that day, a very Quick time of death and violence. Verse 31. O you most proud, says the Lord God of hosts, for your day is come, the time that I will visit you, meaning of destruction. So here it comes. Chapter 51, verse 1. Thus says the Eternal, Behold, I will raise up against Babylon and against them that dwell in the midst of them that rise up against me a destroying wind. Now, it can be quite pleasant at times, can't it? And wind can hit just in a moment, it seems. That front comes through, and you can be standing there, and everything's fine, and the next instant, it seems, the wind nearly knocks you down. Or like a tornado. A good analogy there. You see clouds. I remember as a boy looking at dark clouds then begin to come, and the wind begins to pick up, and then there is an eerie silence and quiet, and then suddenly you see tornadoes dipping down out of the clouds. 
And it's quite a shock. And you head for the root cellar, and you don't care about the rattlesnakes then as much as you do the tornado. So you go on in and hope the snakes don't get you. But it comes very suddenly. I walked out of a restaurant in Kit Carson, Colorado, out on the plains a few years ago with Marla, and there had been reports of tornadoes 200 miles south at Lamar or wherever it was. And they said, but it's not a problem here. We walked out of the restaurant, and there's a tornado in the field about 200 yards away, right there, sitting in the field. And then the siren began to go off. But it was such a shock to walk out, and there it is. You know, you can hear something on the radio. Well, there's, some, there's, there's bad weather in the area, and there could be tornadoes, but it's not a problem here. We see signs of recovery in the weather, you know. And we walked out the door, and there it was. And did we jump in the cars in a hurry and head out of there? Let's see, 51, where was I here now? Let's go to 51, verse 8. Babylon is suddenly fallen and destroyed. Howl for her, take balm for her pain. If so be, she may be healed. We would have healed Babylon, but she is not healed. That's speaking of God's people. Forsake her, and let us go everyone into his own country, for her judgment is reaches to heaven and is lifted to the skies. The Eternal has brought forth our righteousness. Come and let us declare in Zion the work of the Eternal, our God. So it says this is going to come quickly. Foreigners are going to start leaving here like rats from a sinking ship, and God's people are going to be protected and declare in Zion the work of the Eternal, our God. This is an amazing scenario. Luke 12, verse 54. Now this is an end-time prophecy. And he said also to the people, when you see a cloud rise out of the west, straightway you say, there comes a shower. And so it is. And when you see the south wind blow, you say, there will be heat, and it comes to pass. You hypocrites, you can discern the face of the sky and of the earth, but how is it that you do not discern this time? And much of the church has been asleep to what's going on in the world and not really fully aware, just going on about our business, as in the days of Noah, as another scripture says, marrying and giving in marriage and just living normal life, and then, bam, it hits. Not discerning the time. Now, we can see weather changing. Why can't we see what is going on in this nation and this world we live in? But so many are utterly unaware. I think... Here, many of you do watch these things. But then, what are we then doing about it? <coughs> it is one to come so suddenly, so quickly, just out of the blue, in an instant, suddenly. Are we ready for that? <coughs> Let's go to Zechariah 11. I quoted this, but I want to touch on it at least a little bit. 
Open your doors, O Lebanon, that the fire may devour your cedars. Now, Lebanon was connected with Israel. That means white. That means fruitful field. That the fire may devour your cedars. Howl, fir tree, for the cedar is fallen. Because the mighty are spoiled, howl, you oaks of Bashan, for the forest of the vintage is come down. So it mentions three large trees there. Uh, trees can represent men in prophecy. They can represent churches. You go on down. Uh, he talks about beauty and bands in verse 7, meaning grace and unity is what beauty and bands mean. The grace of God and the unity of the church. Three shepherds also I cut off in one month, and my soul loathed them, and their soul also abhorred me. How will it get to be in the church of God that God loathes his people and they do him? That's a sad state of affairs in a church of God, isn't it? And yet God says in many of the prophecies, he's turned his face from us. He can't stand to look at our sin. And then he is suddenly going to turn. He is going to stand in judgment and destruction and splintering. Revelation talks upon it as a spewing or vomiting. Lamentation talks upon it using several different analogies as do Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and the minor prophets. Deuteronomy and uh, Leviticus talk about it in the Blessings and Cursings chapters. It just goes on and on throughout the Bible. The New Testament speaks of it in terms of a falling away. It happened in the early New Testament church, and those are prophetic for today. A falling away that seemed to come upon us fairly suddenly. And then it hits in another group suddenly, just like you blew it apart. Now, people have been expecting a split or a division of two pieces of United. No. That's way too optimistic. That's not what's going to happen. It is not what is in process. Now, I heard just a day or two ago that they're talking now about maybe four different divisions or churches coming out of it. Well, I'll guarantee you it's a spin-off from this. There will be many, many little groups. There will be many who give up entirely. I got a note from someone just the other day, in fact, which kind of indicated this type of thing. He said, I've read the Passover paper. I agree with it. Now why do you disagree with the Hebrew calendar? And I have to write to answer that. But it said, from my background, I was in Worldwide, and then I was in United, and now question mark. It's sad that someone had to write a note like that to somebody they don't even know and say this is the sad state of affairs that I find myself in. A person with a big question mark. They don't know what they're going to do next, in other words. And the one who wrote that little note to me is only one of many, many, many who have the same feeling and emotion and the frustration right now in that organization and wondering, what do I do now? Who do I follow? Where do I go? Should I follow any of these or should I go somewhere else? Should I just sit at home? What to do? The sad situation. 
I think we can see from these scriptures that all of what is about to happen, even though we may see it leaning and see the cracks ahead of time, it's still going to seem to come so fast as to be unbelievable. Let's go now to the book of Zephaniah. I referenced it briefly there in discussing Habakkuk because the prophecies of the minor prophets are like a book, and each of these little books is like a chapter in an overall book of twelve. So Habakkuk was wondering how long, and he recognized that it was going to come very quickly when it came, and he was just frustrated about it. He says in verse 17 in Habakkuk 2, Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vine, the labor of the olive shall fail, and the fields shall yield no meat. This sounds like, in terms of the church, the spiritual famine that uh, Amos talks about, and a famine in the land physically that Ezekiel 5 and many other places talk about. So Habakkuk summing this thing up and saying, you know, nothing good's happening. Everything's failing. The fields yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. So speaking of the church, this is very much the circumstance. And it's not just a physical thing upon the nation, as Amos says, a spiritual famine of the word. And it is also coming upon the nation. They're even talking now about food shortages around the world. They're talking about failed crops and the wheat crop because of the flood in Australia, and they've had troubles in Russia with their wheat. And on and on it goes about the problems that are coming in our society. The honeybees and the bumblebees are all dying in this country, and the crop production is going to go way down as a result of lack of pollination. But Monsanto is coming up with a wonderful solution. They're genetically modifying all of those grains so that they don't need to be pollinated by the creatures that God created to do it. So Monsanto's going to save us with chemicals. Where did I go off? Let's not go there. I could go on and on. But Habakkuk is pondering what was going on, and he's writing this prophecy, and it was frustrating. He says, Yet I will rejoice in the Eternal. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Eternal God is my strength, and He will make my feet like deer feet. And he will make me to walk upon my high places to the chief singer on my stringed instruments. So he says everything is going to be okay in spite of everything that's coming if he will look to his God. So that is how he summed up this book about the destruction that is coming upon our nation today. Now let's go to the book of Zephaniah because this is quite interesting. We've gone to Zephaniah 1 and 2 many times. It just precedes Haggai, where God says that the temple will be built by his people, by the two witnesses and the remnant that comes from around the world to the one whom God selects to rebuild the temple. The message is very clear there when you tie it together with Zechariah 3 and 4, that it is indeed the two witnesses and the remnant of the church of God that rebuild the temple, both spiritually and I do believe now physically. Both have to be done. And I don't have time to go into that in detail at the moment, but suffice it to say that Habakkuk wondered how long and when will these things happen, and he says suddenly, and then we see the other side of it through Haggai and Zechariah, what must be done in this end time. But there's something here in Zephaniah 
chapter 1 talks about the crash that is coming financially in Israel and this country, even though we be Babylon in government and approach and not godly, uh, we are still the people of Israel. So the word of the Eternal which came to Zephaniah, the son of Cushi, and so on, during the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah. Now the book of Jer Jeremiah was also written during, or began to be written during the days of Josiah the king as well. Uh, so I don't have time to do it today, but if you want to go back to the book of Jeremiah, uh, realize that it was a prophecy about Israel that was written about the same time that the book of Zephaniah was written. So the stories there are parallel in many, if not most, respects. Verse 2, I will utterly consume all things from off the land, says the Eternal. God makes a proclamation here. I'm going to consume everything. I will consume man and beast. I will consume the fowls of the heaven and the fishes of the sea and the stumbling blocks with the wicked, and I will cut off man from off the land, says the Eternal. That is a startling statement. I've been through Zephaniah many times, and I never really focused on verse 3. Someone brought it to my attention the other day as they did the towers of uh, New York in Ezekiel when that happened as a result of what we have been seeing. Now, someone mentioned they had seen a chart just, I guess, yesterday or today or whenever they saw it, a recent anyway, of all the places <coughs> on the face of the earth that suddenly there are massive die-offs in birds and massive die-offs in fish, and even in beasts, uh, this listed around the world, the places. And it was shocking. I've been watching the news. 2,000 birds die here, 10,000 die somewhere else. It's happened at least twice in Arkansas in that area, in Kentucky, in Louisiana, in Manitoba, uh, in Maryland, millions of fish dying, 40,000 crabs somewhere else. Uh, fish off the coast of Argentina, antelope in Kazakhstan, and on and on and on the list goes. I don't even remember them all. They're happening, and this has all been in the last week or ten days. Suddenly, the fowls of the air drop out of the heavens, and the fish turn belly up in the sea and in the rivers. Where is this coming from? I've seen articles on Google News where it says, ten reasons this could be happening. And they give all kinds of, you know, well, this could be winter stress, or this could be lack of food, or this could be this, or this could be that. And they're coming up with, how could this happen? And sometimes there is winter kill. I've seen it many times in terms of deer and elk and so on in a very severe winter. I've seen it with rabbit die-offs, and we've seen all kinds of diseases come, and like the, the honeybees and so on, and the bumblebees now dying. But is it all tied up in prophecy? Could it be? I didn't see Zephaniah 1.3 on the list of ten reasons this is happening. But maybe, just maybe, it fits. When God says, I will do this, and then we see it start happening, is it all because of winter stress? I think it's worth watching. 
It's worth monitoring to see if it continues, see if it gets worse, see if more happens, because God says he is going to utterly destroy. And we know from other scriptures, he's going to destroy over 90% of the people who live on this earth. He's going to use human instruments to do a lot of it and let Satan and his demons do a lot of it through men. But God is going to be the one behind it because it serves his purposes. It brings about humility, meekness, and repentance is what it does. And that's what has to happen before the millennium can begin. But notice the context here of Zephaniah. Verse 4, I will stretch out my hand upon Judah and upon all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the church, and uh, spiritually speaking, and the inhabitants of Israel. I will cut off the remnant of Baal from this place, and the name of the Kimarims with the priests, those were gods, and them that wor worshipped the host that had on the housetops, they put Christmas lights all around the housetops, and them that swear, uh, worship and swear by the eternal, uh, and that swear by Malcolm, and them that are turned back from the eternal, and those that have not sought the eternal, nor inquired of him. So some in the church who knew God and departed, and some who never bothered with God in the first place. So this is, in other words, a widespread destruction. Verse 8, and it shall come to pass in the day of the eternal sacrifice. Does that mean in terms of Passover specifically as a timing? Or does it simply mean when God sacrifices 90% of the population of the world and the beasts and the fishes? That is more the context than Passover, but it's just a question mark to put there. And the king's children and all such as are clothed with strange apparel were to be wearing what? white linen of the bride. Anything other than that, if time is coming to a close, is strange apparel, speaking spiritually. doesn't mean we can't all have to wear white linen all the time, uh, but it's speaking spiritually. In the same day also I will punish all those that leap on the threshold which fill their master's houses with violence and deceit. They just can't wait to come in and out of, through the doors across the threshold to lie, cheat, steal, commit fraud, Ponzi schemes, whatever you have. And it shall come to pass in that day, uh, says the Eternal, that there shall be the noise of a cry from the fish gate, and a howling from the second, and a great crashing from the hills. Howl, you inhabitants of Maktesh. That was a market area of Jerusalem. It corresponds to Wall Street or the city of London today the financial centers of this nation and of Great Britain, primarily the Anglo-Saxons, because we are the first that God shows will be destroyed. Well, we do some destruction before we're destroyed, but I mean in terms of God's end-time punishment, Israel is first on his list, just as the church was first on his list. He hasn't really bothered with the Methodists and the Baptists yet, has he? He's hit us but it is coming upon them. It shall come to pass at that time that I will search Jerusalem with candles or with lights and punish the men that are settled on their leaves. Sitting back, everything's okay, everything's going to be fine. We'll have a recovery here. Uh, it's, it's a winemaking term, resting on their oars. Uh, they, that say in their heart, the eternal will not do good, 
Neither will he do evil. God isn't involved in this. Oh, yes, he is. Therefore their goods shall become a booty, and their houses a desolation. They shall also build houses, but not inhabit them. And we are being kicked out of our houses left and right, are we not? In fact, uh, Detroit is now bragging that they have bulldozed 3,000 houses. That was one of their goals. Those houses were built, but they're not going to be inhabited. Isaiah 5 says the houses will become desolate. It goes on and on. There are several different scriptures. Ezekiel 7, verse 24. They shall plant vineyards, but not drink the wine thereof. So we are in the midst of the beginnings of this, this mortgage crisis and real estate bubble that has burst is the beginnings of the fulfillment of Zephaniah 1. But everything is still kind of there. It's just leaning, isn't it? It hasn't completely collapsed yet. But what context does he say? Verse 14, The great day of the Lord is near, it is near, and haste greatly, even the voice of the day of the eternal, the mighty man shall cry there bitterly. So he says, this crash is going to come as the day of the Lord nears. A day of darkness, day of the trumpet, verse 18, their gold, their silver, their gold will not be able to deliver them in the day of the eternal's wrath, but the whole land shall be devoured by the fire of his jealousy, for he shall make even a speedy riddance of all them that dwell in the land. The church has almost disappeared from the land and is in the act of continuing to disappear, and people now will be driven out of the land and taken captive after the sword, famine, and disease, and pestilence destroy two-thirds. The other third will go into captivity. Now, we see our people being moved out of their homes. Is this thing getting close? We see birds falling out of the air, and fish dying and floating in the water. We see antelope suddenly dying. Why? Now maybe it is some say from harp, uh, the destruction, they say that the Haiti earthquake came from mankind stirring it up. I won't go into all that. Maybe, maybe not. I do not know the chemtrails and all that stuff that you read about. What effect is it having? I don't know. God says he is the instrumentation behind this, or the being behind it. He's using men and Satan for instrumentation. He generally works through people to do good and to do evil. But we've seen so many scriptures today about how destruction is going to come so very, very suddenly. It says in chapter 2, Gather yourselves together. Yes, gather together, O undesirable nation before the decree bring forth, before the day passes the chaff, before the fierce anger of the eternal come upon you, before the day of the Lord's anger come upon you. Seek you the eternal, all you meek of the earth, which have worked his judgment. Seek righteousness, seek meekness. It may be you shall be hid in the day of the eternal's anger. When you see all these things beginning to happen, know that it is near. It is about to happen. And it is going to be 
horribly destructive, and it is going to be swift. Let's go to the book of Revelation. Right here, in chapter 18, we see the judgment on Babylon. Verse 2, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen. All nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. It talks about Babylon in terms of merchants. Traditionally, the church spoke of the great whore as the Catholic Church and all her little Protestant daughters. And the analogy in some ways fits, and she certainly is a great whore from God, and her little Protestant daughters are also harlots. But that's not what this is speaking of. The merchants of the earth don't look to the Vatican. The Vatican has not enriched the nations of the earth. America has. And many of the things written about the Babylon that is to fall in Jeremiah 50 and 51 talk about the hammer of the whole earth. The Catholic Church is not the hammer that beats on anyone on earth that they want to. That's the United States of America, or the United States Corporation, to be more precise. Now, God's people are mixed in with Babylon. Verse 4, I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that you be no partakers of her sins, and that you receive not of her plagues. For her sins have reached to heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. But she says, she sits a queen, verse 7, and am no widow, and shall see no sorrow. Oh, green sheets are coming. Think the economy is going to get better. We're going to come out of this just fine. Therefore, because she doesn't repent, shall her plagues come in one day. Death and mourning, and famine, and she shall be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the eternal God who judges her. Now, he's going to send the Assyrian the rod of his anger. He's going to send other nations against her, but he says, it's really coming from me. It's not them, it's me. I'm the one who is sick and tired of your sin. And the king of the north, who has committed fornication and lived deliciously with her, shall bewail her. That great city Babylon, that mighty city, verse 10, for in one hour is your judgment come. 18, verse 17, for in one hour so great riches is come to nothing. And every shipmaster and all the company and ships and sailors, as many as trade by sea, stood far off and cried when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What city is like this great city? And they cast dust on their heads and cried, weeping and wailing, saying, Alas, alas, that great city wherein were made rich all that had ships in the sea by reason of her costliness. Where do the ships of the earth go today? Where have they been going? We're the great market for the world. We're the ones that have made many nations rich. <coughs> For in one hour is she made desolate. 
It's going to happen very, very quickly. Do we get the point? I think we should. It's, it's an amazing thing when you put all to me, at least it is to me, when you put all of these scriptures together in one pile about how one moment, quickly, suddenly, one day, one month, one hour, suddenly, <coughs> instantly, this thing will come. Now, this has been a, I guess, not much fun to contemplate what is about to happen to our country, <coughs> even as it happens to our church. But it's from God, and it's dire, and it is going to happen. We are the great whore Israel of Ezekiel 16, both the church who has whored from God after this world, and our people Israel who have gone a-whoring after the other nations and gods of this world. Now let's consider a more positive side of this for a moment. Let's go to Zechariah <coughs> chapter 3. <coughs> now we touched on just a spot or two because it was in the context and one by mistake in Isaiah about how God is going to turn things around for those who will hear, who have eyes to see and ears to hear. Chapter 3 of Zechariah, this is speaking uh, of one of the two witnesses in chapter 3, introduces the other one in chapter 4, but it says <clears throat> that before this individual, uh, he will bring forth his servant, the branch, uh, the branch meaning the bow or the branch of chapter 4, I believe. For behold, the stone that I have laid before Joshua upon one stone shall be seven eyes. Tie that in with Revelation 2 and 3 about how uh, the angels of the church are the eyes. Uh, so all seven churches are going to begin to turn at some point. Behold, I will engrave the graving thereof, says the Eternal of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of that land in one day. In that day, says the Eternal of hosts, shall you call every man his neighbor under the vine and under the fig tree. So God says of his church, the faithful remnant, now I'm not going to go through all the background of Haggai again to show that Joshua and Zerubbabel are there and that the remnant of the people are stirred by God to come and build a temple uh, in the end time but that is the context in which this is given. And it says back in chapter 2 that villages will be built and there will be much men and cattle there, showing that it is physical yet, it's not all just spiritual. And he says, flee from the land of the north in verse 6 of that chapter. Uh, and he talks about fleeing then, you that dwell with the daughter of Babylon in verse 7. And he says in verse 10, Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for lo, I come, and I will dwell in the midst of you, says the Eternal. And many nations shall be joined to the Eternal in that day. And he shows he's going to gather his remnant from all four corners of the earth. Uh, and he will choose Jerusalem again. He's 
left the church, but he will come back to it. Be silent, all flesh, before the Eternal, for he is raised up out of his holy habitation. So what he is going to do is going to be done very quickly. We caused him to turn his face away from us after he spit us out. He is going to suddenly turn his face back to us and raise up to do his holy work, not just the destruction of the church and the world around us. He'll remove our iniquity in one day. Let's go back to Isaiah 44 and tie that in. Isaiah 40 begins with a story of a voice crying in the wilderness about this and the message that all flesh is as grass and to proclaim it and proclaim that God is God. It comes down in chapter 44 after talking about how the church, the remnant, is are his witnesses. Verse 8, uh, coming down to verse 21, he says, Remember these, O Jacob and Israel, for you are my servant. I have formed you, and you are my servant, O Israel. You shall not be forgotten of me. He's talking, first of all, here, the church. Isaiah 40 is speaking of the work of John the Baptist in the end time who is to come and cry about what Christ is going to do. So that's what the context of Isaiah 40 through uh, 48, we read about destruction of Babylon and so on, uh, is, is this period of time that we are approaching and are in right now. You shall not be forgotten of me. Verse 22, I have blotted out as a thick cloud your transgressions and as a cloud your sins. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. You know how quickly a cloud can appear, as I said earlier, they can disappear very quickly too, and suddenly the sun comes out. So that is the analogy that he's using of your sins and mine, that he will remove them as quickly as he can remove a cloud in the middle of the afternoon. He says in one day in Zechariah 3. So the destruction and everything that we have been reading about today is going to come suddenly in an instant, in a moment, in a day, in an hour, in a, a month. But God's forgiveness and turning his face back to his people is going to happen just as quickly. Notice Isaiah 26. Well, no, see Psalm 30 first. Psalm 30. And here I want verse 5. For his anger endures but a moment. In his favor is life. He prefers life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Lamentation talks about how he gives us a new start every day. When the sun comes up, we have a new chance to do things. So God is going to very quickly turn our sorrow into joy and happiness. Even as he says in Zechariah 8 that those feasts, one of which we're keeping next Friday, will be turned, or those fasts, will be turned into feasts of joy. Very quickly, instead of destruction and death upon the church, he is going to shine his face and remove the sins of his people like a cloud in one day and smile on the virgin daughter of Israel again and cause his remnant people to build his church. And it will far outstrip and be greater in glory by far, as old men will attest from the book of Haggai, from the former temple under Herbert Armstrong, the latter temple will be built under the two witnesses along with the remnant. 
and it will be far greater in glory than that which has come before. So God has a solution to this problem in the church. And about 10% of the church will wake up to that at some point. The others will go into the tribulation, unfortunately. And Zechariah 12, I think, or 13 shows that about a third of them will repent during that time. But they may have to lose their lives. Isaiah 26, I was headed for. Uh, That may be the one that I hit by mistake a while ago. Let's see. Isaiah 26 uh, and verse... 20. Come, my people, enter you into your chambers and shut your doors about you. Hide yourself, as it were, for a little moment until the indignation be overpassed. He says essentially the same thing in Matthew 24, verses 14 through about 18. Pray that your flight not occur in bad weather. Uh, pray that you be accounted worthy to escape these things that are coming, that you be protected. Here he's talking about that, that it's going to seem just like a little while to you until all of this destruction is past. And then he can restore the nations of Israel with his bride at his side to do it in the millennium. And the sun will come out when Christ returns to this earth with his bride to set up the kingdom of God. And the people on earth are going to be amazed at how quickly the sun will come out after the day of darkness and gloom and clouds and death and destruction. So God is going to bring this upon us very, very quickly, and yet he is going to bring blessing just as fast. I want to balance this out with some of those scriptures to show us what he has in mind. Chapter 54, verse 7, just a couple more. Here, he talks about waking up in chapter 52. He talks about Christ's sacrifice in chapter 53, and then how he is going to begin to bless suddenly in chapter 54. Uh, He does say in many places, or some places, that the blessings will come in the first month. That's around Passover. And Passover is is rehearsed here in chapter 53 before the blessings are shown in 54. So I think that this chapter, 54, probably will come at Passover or just after Passover time. I didn't say which year, I just said Passover time, didn't I? Verse 7, For a small moment have I forsaken you. He's speaking to his people, the church here. Verse 5, For your Maker is your husband, the Eternal of hosts is his name, and your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. So he's talking about Christ and his bride here. He's talking about the redeemed of Israel. That would be the church. So the context is the church. For a small moment have I forsaken you, but with great mercies will I gather you. In a little wrath I hid my face from you for a moment. To you and me it seems like more than a moment. But on the other hand, from the time the church began to come apart till today, is really historically a short time, even though it's been hard for us. But with everlasting kindness will I have mercy on you, says the Eternal, your Redeemer. So, may seem like a long time to us, yet on the other hand, when it happened, it happened pretty quickly, and it's happening pretty quickly to groups today, and it's going to come in a flash, suddenly, in an instant, to our nation. But by comparison, what we go through now 
is nothing compared to the length of time the blessing and joy will be ours forevermore. This is a moment, a twinkling of an eye in comparison. And yet, I don't mean to minimize and say 25 years since the church came apart till now is a moment, uh, because it says that the resurrection will come in the twinkling of an eye. How long does it take to blink your eyelid? Not very long. So the destruction will come very quickly as well, as will the blessing. Uh, let's see, 44, I, I, gave, I guess I gave that one. Let's go to one more, Second Corinthians 4. Second Corinthians 4. And here I want to go down to verse 17. Well, let's start in verse 16. For which cause we faint not, that is, the resurrection of the dead and being with Christ, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. We work at it day by day to renew the spiritual, the inner man. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, works for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, the just shall live by faith, and without faith it is impossible to please him. We look forward to a time when things will change. We look at things which are not seen. Without vision the people perish, but with vision the people thrive and live because they're able to look beyond the trouble that we have physically ourselves in this life and the physical troubles that the church and the nation will go through, we can endure this time of affliction that we're going through, and Paul refers to it really as a moment in contrast to eternity and what we shall have. If we continue and Laodiceanism, apathy, not caring that much, taking it for granted. Oh, well, whatever. We're going to go through sudden destruction, church and nation. If we wake up and serve God with all heart, mind, body, and soul, God is going to suddenly, like a cloud in one day, remove our sins, turn his face to us, and shine upon us, and we will never again turn from him, and we'll be in that first resurrection. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, when the corruptible turns into incorruptible. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, forward-looking, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And there's where we must direct our focus, our attention, our feelings, our emotions, is on those things which are to come. And if we focus there, is spiritually the fruit that God wants of us. We are going to be called into our chamber, and shut the doors behind us because in spite of our unworthiness, our sins will be removed as a cloud and we will be protected from all this that is coming.
So in all this death and destruction that we are about to see in and out of the church, God promises for those who will respond to him that everything is going to turn out good. So let's be warned. Let's be aware. Let's see what is coming. But let's take time and energy to protect ourselves. There are many survivalist websites now and companies that are providing food and ammunition and guns and all kinds of things because they see trouble coming in this nation. They are taking physical preparations. And to some degree, that's wise. But primarily, we need to look at spiritual preparation that we might be accounted worthy to escape all this death and destruction and to live and thrive and build the temple of God. There is our challenge. Let's look at the eternal, brethren. Not the temporal, not the temporary. But let's set our sights, our affection on things above. And then we will not be as frustrated with things as they are. Because they are frustrating, aren't they? Yes, they are. And they're going to get worse. But for those who have vision, they will get better in a moment in a day when Christ shines his face and rises to do his work. And that work is before him. And we can be part of it.